Hello, I'm Howard and welcome to the 9320 podcast, an impromptu podcast brought about by yet another Raheem Sterling newspaper story that for me at least was the final straw. Uh, Please be warned that this podcast may have controversial views and will definitely have some language suitable for adults only. If that's not for you, I'd stop listening now. Uh, So anyway, to discuss that Sterling story and the wider issue of press coverage of City, England and more. Delighted to be joined by the man who only needs one name, Asan. Hello, Asan. Hi, Howard. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm, yeah. you know, suitably wound up. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I find myself becoming progressively more angry to the point where I suspect that I will probably finish this podcast and not look at social media again for the rest of the day because I can't be asked. Fair enough. I'm also delighted to be joined by the one and only Steve Tudor. Hello, Steve. Do I? I need. I need both names. Do I? Yes. Uh, I said only only Asan can go by one name. Is Asan more Brazilian. famous than me? I would say yeah, it's Brazilian. He's <laughs> the Brazilian of the podcast. Ninety-three twenty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 very much of the same mind of Asan, but I'm going to go back to social media after this, uh, and yeah, fight the good fight because um, yeah, this needs. This needs discussing on here. This needs discussing on social media, and yeah, let's let's do this. I'm I'm good to go. Okay. Well, just be- quickly before we start, uh, if you listen to this and you haven't already seen it, Steve's got a brilliant article out on the Kipax. Oh, bless you, today you. or yesterday, uh, just come, or whenever you listen to this. Yeah. yeah, this morning. Yeah. So if you haven't seen that, search it out immediately. So uh, it's brilliant stuff. I have purposely I tried to make blues cry. So. <laughs> it must be good if you're making people grown men well I don't know if I've succeeded I'm, I nearly made myself cry when I was bloody writing it but um, yeah so if there's a little kind of tear just let me know on Twitter and I've done my job yeah uh, right let's crack on I've got an opening question just before we get on to the main topic uh, it's Slightly linked because it also it's also to do with media and social media. Uh, the unbridled joy that I experienced on social media after the Liverpool defeat on Saturday night. Uh, I'll start with you, Steve. Is this something to have no shame over? None whatsoever. Is it, is it bitter or is it a predictable consequence of social media growth? And I say that because was it two thousand and five? Their comeback in the Champions League. Yeah. As a neutral, I quite enjoyed that. It was just a fun, exciting match. Didn't have any strong views on who won uh, nowadays that would you know brought me to a nervous breakdown so who's to blame the fans or the fact that we see we see each other on social media and we act in a way that we, we wouldn't normally do face to face well kind of somewhere in between really because the latter is obviously a big consequence of it because I was exactly the same as you in 2005 um, you know I'm not the biggest fan of Liverpool and yeah I, was, I found the second half highly hilarious to be honest Milan's kind of collapse and you know just as watching it as a football fan it was really enthralling and I've got a lot of Liverpool mates so I was really pleased for them I was actually in their company so you know I was, I was chuffed for them to be honest um, that's just inconceivable now to feel that way about Liverpool winning the Champions League and it meant more to me Saturday than a lot of significant moments in City's history I could not it would have been the end of the world if Liverpool had won it, it would have been insufferable um, I plan to basically change careers and just, you know, avoid football for the rest of my life. Maybe just tap it, <laughs> tap in now and again and just see where how City are getting on. But that aside, that would have been it for me. It would have been unavoidable. I would never have 
Uh, gone out in public again because posters would have been everywhere for the latest play, um, celebrating their win. Uh, every single facet of that game. When, when I saw Andy Robertson do that kind of block on Ronaldo, I, t- I turned to my girlfriend and said, if Liverpool go on to win this now, a whole book will be written about that tackle. Um, they are extraordinary. They are a cult. They are a fan base I've never kind of encountered before. Um and you can't say anything about them because they, they go up in so much arms and so they take such offence that it, it's like they can't conceive that you're saying something negative about their religion because that's what it is to them. And so I don't mind that. That's if they, that's a, their prerogative. But on social media, um, I think you're perfectly entitled to up your own side and look down on, on others. Um, that's the name of the game, really. So... Yeah, I was chuffed a bit that they lost. I make no bones about it. And since then, I've put a couple of things up and Liverpool fans have been kind of railing against me and calling me a troll and, and doing their usual thing of getting in touch with people who employ me uh, and saying, you know, if you continue to employ this man, you will. Uh, I'll make sure that you alienate a fan base and, and you will lose a lot of your business. And So, yeah, uh, that's where I stand on the matter. Um, since they've lost, by the way, it's all evaporated for me, you know, Good on him. I'm actually quite pleased that they signed Fabinho. It's a good signing for him. Chuff for him. Nice one. Um, it was they could not win the Champions League. If they'd done it six times, we would not have heard the end of it. Well, the way I mean, you said they're being sufferable if they'd won. Uh, they lost and they're still. <laughs> That's Pretty true. Much prove our yeah. point of why we're happy. The conspiracy theory. But, but sorry, just one last point as well. Death I mean, I'm, I'm stating the obvious here, but the Reds I know in real life are proper well sound. Really get on with you. Yeah. We can talk about football, you know, like not just my mates either, but you know, there's there's actually people like from the Anfield rap, for example, proper, really nice sound lads, and, and they can see every angle, you know, they can see the good and the bad and everything. It's it is social media it brings out the worst in people. Yeah, well, that's where my question comes from because my you know, you fans I don't have as friends, I won't talk to them in person. We've never had a heated argument in person, but you know. Once you're not face to face, it's a very different matter completely. Mm. And the sort of things that have been said on Facebook are on a completely different level. Uh, hey, Sam, what? Unbridled joy, acceptable after their defeat? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, you know, I, I think that the I see I saw a few people uh, say the same thing as you, which is that they almost wanted Liverpool to win back in 2005. But I think that we have to acknowledge that back in 2005. We weren't rivals to Liverpool. Yeah, we didn't have, you know, we weren't in the Champions League. We didn't have a dog in that fight. So it was dead easy to basically support anybody who kind of does well in Europe other than United because you're just sort of like, okay. But now it's a completely different time. Liverpool are rivals of cities. I think it makes, particularly after the season that we've had, I think it makes perfect sense that we all, you know, laugh uproariously at what Carriers did. Do you know what I mean? That's just... That's, what's the point in rivalry if you can't if you can't do that? And the petition is one well. thing though. Yeah, I, I will say one thing though. I I, I actually um, I think once we got to hundred points, that was pretty much enough for me. Uh, I really didn't care. It made no. It would have made no odds to me if Liverpool had won. Really, it would have made yeah. no odds because the noise that that the I, I'm a little bit like you, Howard. I've got a lot of. I, I'm like Steve. I've got a lot of. Not a lot. I've got some of my closest friends are Liverpool supporters and they're all sound and they all know what they're talking about when it comes to football. Talk to a lot of the lads off, off the Anfield rap. 
most of them are sound. Um, But when you look at social media in general, or you look at the prevailing attitudes in general, whether they are the prevailing attitudes at the Anfield rap with the stuff that they write or the prevailing attitudes within the media, they, they bring a lot of stuff upon themselves. Uh, the Liverpool lot, I guess that's, that's about the politest way that I can, uh, I can put it. Well, look at the, peti- <laughs> look at the petition, you know, hundred thousand signatures for just a coming together of arms. Mate, 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 listen, it goes back. It's it's not about now for me. I've been aware of this for, 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 for some years now, you know, I remember um, two seasons ago, right. When uh, City played Liverpool on the Anfield rap, Rob Gutman wrote, uh, he does all the, uh, the match previews or he did that season and he's previewed the, uh, the, the city, the city game and, the disparaging manner, manner in which he, he wrote about City and the things that he said were a fucking disgrace. And I've been really cool with the, with the Scouse Mafia over the last few years because they were helpful when I started the podcast. And there are some sound lads there, but there are some fucking knobheads there. And on the whole, they're the, the, the kind of holier-than-thou, our shit doesn't stink. We've got history, la, all that shit is exactly that. It's shit. Nobody cares. You know, I, I, I saw the other day, like, you know, Liverpool ain't won anything of any significance in a decade. Yeah. They should shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down. Do you know what I mean? They talk too much for a club that finished fourth and won nothing this season. And we'll get to it. We'll get to it in this podcast. But a lot of that is driven by the ex-pros and the, uh, and the Scouse Mafia within the media and the manner in which they circle the wagons and the manner in which they blow smoke up the arse of everything that Liverpool do. And, you know, I think the reality is that were it not for Pep Guardiola, yeah, I think they would have been, they, they would have even having finished behind United, they would have taken some moral victory in the number of goals that they scored and that front three and the way that they played football. And I think the fact that Pep doing what he's done with this City side has uh, uh, deprived them of, 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 of that feeling, I think they've taken it really badly and really bitterly. And I actually think that a lot of the, since the Champions League, a lot of the noise in the media and Chris Bascom's super needy Klopp's as good as Guardiola <laughs> is the perfect oh. example of their insecurity and the fact that they simply cannot accept that Guardiola's a superior manager and City are a superior side. Thanks for reminding me to do a retweet as soon as we finish this podcast. Absolutely yeah. no problem, sir. Yeah. Yeah, I do slightly disagree with that. It meant something to me because there's two two angles for this for me. I want this the hundred reaching a hundred points was astonishing. And yes, you can't take anything away from that. But I wanted I was greedy, I wanted this season to be just about City. Yeah. It isn't just, just about City though. And then United lost the cup final, then Liverpool lost. Yeah, but it's even more so now. There's literally nothing now. It it's our tight it's our season. I, see what you're saying. I, see I mean there's an FA Cup for Chelsea. I don't care what they do, uh, yeah. but FA Cups weren't as important as the Champions League. This was City season. Nothing. No other team came close to achieving anything like we did. It was 100% City. 
And, be, and bear in mind, we've had that in the past, of, of course, as well. You know, when in the late sixties, when we won the league, they won uh, United won the European Cup, um, in, in the playoff victory over Gillingham, of course, United won the European Cup. Then, um, even when we won the FA Cup for the FA first, Cup. yeah, and, and United won the league like three hours earlier. So it's nice. Um, just, it was, yeah. it was an hour before kickoff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, that day I didn't care at all because this was <laughs> yeah. that was our day, you know, and whatever happened. But yeah, exactly. This has been, you know, Pep Guardiola has done it. And but the second angle is so many of the the fan base absolutely truly believe that the name was on the cup, that this was destiny, fate, history. I mean, they're just celebrating it as if. It was a done deal. Uh, so you've got to take it back. You know, and all, all they've got at the end of it is, as you said, Asan, fourth place, uh, fewer points than last season, and an increasingly rusty trophy parade bus. And that's <laughs> <literally> <laughs> I will say that's as well. There's some total of what they've got this season. A lot of things said about Liverpool fans, or a lot of criticism of criticism of Liverpool fans, concerns their kind of delusions of grandeur. Now, the one that really sticks out for me is they genuinely believe that they are the people's champions, that they are yep. loved. They have no inclination whatsoever of how truly hated they are beyond kind of Manchester City or Everton or United. In the Shires, if you like. No one likes Liverpool, and they just they have no conception of that whatsoever. In 2013-14, a Liverpool fan said to me, with like three weeks to go in a season, we're the people's champions, we've got the nation behind us. It's like, you're joking, we're Moneybags Plastic City and everyone, even United fans, are rooting for us because they can't bear the thought of you guys winning the league. That's how hated you are. Now, my girlfriend has no interest in football whatsoever apart from she loves Raheem Sterling and she wants to be his mum. Beyond that, she has no, no interest in football at all. Through working in a place of work where she does and hearing all the Liverpool fans day in, day out, go on about it. But not that more how they were talking about it, the arrogance, the expectation that they were going to do it and what it would mean to football for them to do it. She wanted Liverpool to lose more than I did on Saturday. She was the one who insisted that we watch it. I wanted to stay well clear of it. <laughs> they they truly been, are hated. Yeah, it's been a great bonding yeah. thing, though, for me and United fans that I know. <laughs> it's brought us closer together with a common goal. Uh but yeah, it's just, it's been, I mean, for the moment that draw was made in the quarterfinal, it's been sufferable. Yeah. And uh, yeah, absolution. I hate this, you know, it's a shame by nothing thing is, has a bit odious overtones. But yeah. It, but there's truly there is. nothing to blame that the whole coach thing and decisions going against City were, were important until they went against Liverpool. It's just, yeah, I guess it's football fans. And I'm sure there's a selection of every fan base like ours that we can really you know, like our paranoia, for example, but it has been unbelievably insufferable, so they've only got themselves to play, to be honest, and it was bloody brilliant. <laughs> it really was. On Saturday night. It really was. Yeah. I mean, the, the perfect thing, I know it's been much discussed, so I'm not uh, trying any new ground here, but the way that Carius was isolated and no one went over to him, um, and, you know, all this, you'll never walk alone business, in a time of need, when one of their own really needed, you know, the kind of the Red Army, where were they? He was on his own, and um, mm. and that says it all for me. A couple of things on on that. I think that um, uh, I, I, when I saw at the final whistle, when you saw Klopp's face, in fact, in the last sort of ten minutes of that game, when you saw Klopp's face, he took that defeat really, really, really fucking hard. Um, 
and he showed that he's not at the level of Guardiola as a man because he took it so hard himself that he couldn't, in that moment, I think that he needed to walk around that pitch, yeah, and pick his players up. Um, mm, and he that. didn't, I, 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 he didn't at all. And then if you contrast that with the video that's uh, that subsequently come out of him dancing like a, like a buffoon on an aeroplane at six o'clock in the morning, pissed up, singing Liverpool chants. I mean, I'm not being funny, but if that was the manager of, of Manchester City Football Club yeah. and we'd lost in the final of the European uh, Cup and the manager was four years, four, four hours later on an aeroplane, pissed up, jumping up and down, singing City songs in a bad accent. I'm sorry, but that's, you know, that's for us to do. We're supporters. That's not for, for, for the manager to do. I just think that I, I rate Klopp as a coach. I think that if we hadn't have got Guardiola, I always wanted Klopp if we couldn't get Guardiola. So I'd be hypocrite if I said that I can't stand him or whatever. But I think as a man, if you look at the way that he's, even the way that he handled the, the, the going into the, going into the, to the cup final with the whole, you know, we are Liverpool, we are special attitude. Yeah. It's just like, dude, you, you, you're buying into the cult and you need to be careful buying into the cult because, you know, it's now three years and you've not won a trophy. And if you don't win one next season, there's curtains. Do you know what I mean? But it's, and that, that's a really good point you made there. And, and managers do just kind of, well, it's not so much buying into the cult, but they're kind of um, absorbed into it. It happened with Rodgers as well. Um, it, it didn't happen uh, with, with Hodgson because, you know, he was hated by Liverpool fans. But the last two Liverpool managers have... A, find themselves absorbed into it, maybe initially against their will somewhat through kind of, you know, um, just not feeling comfortable with that. Um, but certainly now, he's gone full Brendan Rodgers. He's, he's exceeding Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers used to do my titting. Every single sentence had to have football club after it. It wasn't just Liverpool, it was Liverpool Football Club. And they were always a family. Mentioned family in every single sentence. Klopp's doing the same now. He's bought into the cult wholesale now. And you can see that in his actions. You, you saw it against Roma as well when he went over and kind of danced in front of all the fans kind of in celebration. Um, and now he's, like you say, it was just really strange behaviour to be sitting... It was just... It, it, sorry, I just, what, I cut you off. No, just, I was just finishing there saying of, of what you said. Him singing and dancing hours after losing the Champions League final. Weird. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think it reflects... Uh, See, I, I, I think, I mean, we're, we're disappearing, disappearing down a Liverpool and Klopp rabbit hole, so we'll move on very quickly. But the, maybe the last <laughs> thing I want to say on, on it is I get the feeling that Klopp is slowly becoming bigger than the club. Yeah. And I think that that's quite an interesting and ultimately dangerous dynamic for them because, you know, it won't be written about right now but come the end of the summer I suspect that even Mourinho will make sure the media are writing about it Liverpool have spent a fucking fortune yeah they're up to 200 million pound with this Fabinho deal and they ain't done yet they're talking about signing Fekir which is going to cost them another 50 60 million euros so at some point before this summer ends they'll be up to a quarter of a billion pounds in one window, more or less. Well, the um, keeper as well. Yeah, yeah we're, not, we're not even talking about a goalkeeper yet. And yet, 
if you actually go and read the narrative, the narrative is shoestring. The number of times in the last few months that I have read people in the media writing things about how Jurgen Klopp is operating on a relative shoestring in comparison to United and City, well, I think that's that myth is going to be blown out of the water come the end of the window. And this is what I mean about him being bigger than than the club, so to speak. The, the scouts, you know, you never walk alone thing. It's only it's only a truism until it's not a truism. And there was a large segment of Liverpool supporters who five months ago were ready to start talking about sacking Klopp off yeah. because they'd fallen so far behind in the title race. And it's only because of their Champions League run that that noise went away. If they aren't in a title race next season... And they get knocked out in the Champions League early doors. I mean, they've got to play a qualifier again now. And it'll be interesting to see what pot they end up in. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think that, uh, I think there's a, the, they appointed a really good coach. And I think that they're, I think they should be careful about the way that it's all kind of unfolding now. Because I think it's, it's beginning to unfold in a, in a way which feels a bit, uh, you know, I don't know what the right I don't know what the right word is. I just get the feeling that they've they've tasted they've sniffed a little bit of success, a little bit of something, and they obviously believe in Klopp as owners, so they're going to give back in with money. But you know, wouldn't it be hilarious? Because ultimately, there are six teams that can finish in the top four. Wouldn't it be hilarious if Liverpool were the ones that ended up fighting for that top four spot next season? And also without his trusted kind of lieutenant now as well, he's got an awfully big throne to sit on and no one whispering in his ear that he's mortal. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, that's enough. I was doing the season review book and before Christmas, his name was Mud. It really was. Mm. Uh, So, you know, I mean, Arsene Wenger kept his job for three years because of cup runs, so... Obviously, it's not quite the same. When you do it in the Champions League, it's different. But, you know, it's a cup one at the end of the day. Anyone can do one. So, yeah, I'll be interested to see how they do next year. He's obviously got, uh, get, you know, as you say about getting himself ingrained into the club culture. He's got Roger's teeth now, hasn't he? So all he needs <laughs> is a, a 50-foot self-portrait in his own living room. And, uh, That's a scary there. prospect. <laughs> Just bearing down on him every time he gets home, so... Right, well, let's move on. I, I'm, you know, about that celebration, I do remember Raheem Sterling, who we are now going to discuss, being criticised once for laughing just days after England crashed out of the Euros or World Cup. So it just says it all, really. If Pep had been doing club songs at 60, he'd have been absolutely slaughtered for it. Uh, as would Mourinho or anyone else, I would imagine. Yeah. So, uh, But let's move on to the main topic, Sterling. Uh, very quick question, Steve. Yeah. That a, the tattoo itself get any problems with it? As I hate all tattoos, I'm probably not the best person to talk about it. I've, no, people can put whatever tattoo they want on their body, and I'm in no position to to judge. Um, and and particularly in this instance, because there's there's a meaning behind it. I find it quite poetic and and quite deep, really. Um, and sorry to stereotype footballers here, but you know it does maybe need saying as well. From a footballer, it's it's got quite a deep connotation to it, and it, it's done perfectly well. That you know, the, the sad reason behind it, um, the awfully sad reason behind it of, of his father uh, getting gunned down when he was two, uh, and that's 
at the foot out of a boot where he scored 23 goals this year. And so his way is is saying it's, it's an anti-gun kind of symbol, saying this is this is my gun, you know, this is what I fire with. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's got a nice poetic kind of slant to it, really. It's, it's, some thought has obviously gone into it. Beyond that, I've got absolutely no judgment call to make on it. It's a tattoo. I'd, I'd never judge anyone on what they put on it, but it's their body. Yeah, awesome. But oh, the hot takes on Twitter though this morning just oh is more God. Than, I, probably better leave it. We should we should bear note also. He's not just had it done. Yeah, he's had it, and that it's also an unfinished tattoo. So what you're seeing is not the finished product anyway. So who are we to comment on it until it's actually finished? Even if we had a right to comment. Uh, hey, Sam, any problems with it? I know your answer. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Why would why would I have, why would I have a exactly. problem with what somebody yeah. else tattoos upon their body? And why would I need an explanation for what they tattoo upon their body? I mean, when people buy video games, right, or when people go and watch movies, they don't have to publicly justify those things, do they? They just do no. them. You just go. You just go about your, you know, your daily life. You go about your daily business. You buy a pair. Basically, right? Only Raheem Sterling has to explain why he eats pasties, why he buys his parents' houses, why he, you know, whatever, whatever that boy does. Yeah, he seems to have to justify it to the national media, whereas other people don't. And it's literally only Raheem Sterling who has to justify it. Yeah, that's fair. Uh- now, I mean, we've discussed, we're not going to go over old ground. We've discussed before why we think this uh, treatment is doled out. And obviously, yeah, there's tons of clickbait stuff about tons of footballers every day. But we know Sterling gets a different approach to him, gets more coverage and different things written about him. So we won't go over old ground because I think we've discovered that a lot. Uh, though obviously you can drop it into conversation, but we won't ask it as a main question. Uh, but I'll start with you, Asan. I think something. This has just gone too far for me now. How do we deal with this situation? Accept that. Accept that in a democracy, free speech, they can write what they want. How do the club deal with it? How do England can't deal with it? Um, do we just shrug our shoulders, or is there something we actually do? Obviously, just say don't buy the newspaper doesn't stop them doing this. Uh, sales of all newspapers are plummeting, so uh, but there's still, I think, 1.6 million people buy it every day. Just saying that really doesn't achieve anything. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's an issue that's exclusive to the Sun. I I understand why. Um, I understand why we're talking about the Sun, but this isn't about the Sun. This is about the systematic hate campaign uh, aimed at Raheem Sterling that began when he decided that he wanted to leave Liverpool Football Club and absolving the Mirror, the Mail, the Star, every other shit right-wing, you know, publication yeah. in Britain is, is it's too easy to, to, to just aim your focus solely at the sun. This ain't just about the sun. This is about from top to bottom, the, the complete uh, disconnect between who Raheem Sterling is as a person, as a man, as a father, as a footballer, and the way that he's characterized in the media. Okay. Uh, stay your ca- a counterpoint, I assume. Uh, to what, sorry? 
No, I, well, I, I agree with, with Aesander. Do we, do we focus on the sun as such? I, well, yes, we should focus on the sun. Um, I, I, well, we spoke off air that I believe it's a central nervous system to this whole thing, and if we, we need some totem to aim for. Um, completely agree with Aesander. It's much more far-reaching than the sun, uh, and the male, I would say, are just equally as bad. But, um, yeah, we do need something to focus on and to bring them down and to kind of help matters that way. Um, and you're absolutely right at the top to, to, to ask what can be done about this. And the answer, I believe, is, you know, we can't do a great deal from our position as being ordinary members of the public. Um, do you think the club should ban the sun? That's what, uh, that's what I was going to get to, because all we can do is not buy the newspaper. I've never bought the, the paper since, since Hillsborough, and I never will. Um, but, you know, as Howard said, 1.6 million people do a day. Um it has to come down to the club. It has to come down to the club and it has to come down to the FA. You look at how they sprung, the FA sprung to the defence of, of Harry Kane and how journalists sprung to the defence of Harry Kane. What we're witnessing today is people in the media just saying, I've had enough of this. People like Gary Lineker, you know, really helpful to have such kind of high-profile figures saying, no, nah, enough's enough now. Just leave a lad alone for fuck's sake. Now, it's an open goal for the FA here. They're not going to get any criticism for doing so. They should stand by their, their player. So should the club. No criticism of club for not doing so up to now, although I, it does their softly, softly approach with the media does kind of um, irk somewhat. But now it's an open goal. But it's there for them to step in and say, right, enough is a fucking enough. Stop bullying this lad. He's ours. If you take him on, you take us on. We're bigger than he is. We're a big institution and we will ban you fucking twats forever if you put another headline up bullying a kid. Enough's enough now. And everyone will just cheer at that. Everyone will be fully behind that. They will get no flack for doing so. It's a win-win. So that's what I want to see. I want to see the institutions now step in and say enough's enough, not just individuals. Yeah, what do you think? I think the line's been crossed now. Sorry, a quick opinion of my own. I always feel that it's been counterproductive to do it in the past. I know that City always, uh, through the through the ages, have been accused by fans of being a soft touch by letting anyone into the press conferences. Ferguson would have banned them immediately, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, but I know that obviously we know from people we know, like Sam journalists get briefed and sometimes it's better to have your enemies close to you and to be told what you know to be told face to face what what the thought of but now i just feel that it's literally we're not getting anywhere with that approach but asan do you think it's abandoned and as a uh, additional bonus question is it fair because this is about news reporters not sports reporters mostly with these stories is it yeah, fair I to punish the sports journalists or have they made their bed so they need to sleep in it? I don't think it's about saying that, well, the journalist has made his bed so he needs to sleep in it, the sports journalist, that is. I, I don't think that, you know, I, I, journalism is a uh, is a dying profession. Sports journalism is a dying profession. I don't think that people who want to write about sport or about football can pick and choose where they work. So I, I, I respect those people who won't work for the sun or who won't work for, for for certain publications who espouse certain views. But I also understand why other people have to, you know, feed their families and the rest of it. From a club perspective, a hundred percent, I would ban the sun. I would ban them for today's front page because it's on the front page today. I feel as though 
after the season that, that Sterling has had. Not that it makes any fucking difference whether he scored 20 goals or zero goals and was dog shit for a year. It still wouldn't excuse it. But just bearing in mind the season that he's had, yeah, the fact that whether the British media like it or not, Raheem Sterling is the best footballer in the England side, yeah? He's better than Harry Kane. He's the most important player if England are going to do anything this summer. For them to go out of their way to pick up on a tattoo and to turn it into the... To bring it to the public consciousness and to, to turn it into the national conversation that it's become this morning is just disgraceful. And, I, I, you know, I, I hope the club do something. I genuinely hope the club do something. And I hope that the FA say something and do something because if they don't say something and they don't do something, it'll be pretty obvious where their priorities yeah. lie based on how they reacted to the, uh, to the Harry Kane, um, to Harry Kane being bullied, <laughs> which they themselves characterized in, in, in that manner. So no, I, I definitely think that, that the sun should be, Band. I, I don't, it's, it's hard. Like I can separate out the, I would have sympathy for any writer who writes for, for the sun. Nope. But I think from a club point of view, their duty of care, right. Is to protect their players. And I know for a fact that there are Spanish journalists banned from the press conferences because Guardiola doesn't like the publication or Guardiola doesn't like that journalist's face. So I think it, if Pep's doing that and we are we are already banning journalists, yeah, then we should definitely be banning some journalists. I, I, I agree with 95% of that. I, I really don't agree with the... Um, and I appreciate what you're saying and where you're coming from with, with people needing to put food on the table and all the rest of it. But no, if you write for the Sun, if you work for the Sun then there are consequences to that. You have to take the roughness move. If you're going to take the paycheck and you're going to work for that organisation, then if someone from another department of, of that news organisation kind of, you know, does what, they did, what they're currently doing, Raheem Sterling, with this kind of witch hunt, then you, as a consequence, will suffer for that through your workplace. That's just how it is because you work for the sun. That's the decision you've made. No one's made you go and work for that scummy organisation. You've chose to. Now, I don't know Martin Blackburn. Wouldn't he, ne- never met him in life. I believe he's a really nice guy. I've been told he's a really nice guy, and I believe he's a, he's a, a, a journalist of integrity. So it would be unfortunate if he lost out, if he was banned from, from the Etihad. So be it, because he works for the Sun. Sod's law. Bad things happen in life. Deal with it. it we've got to ban the Sun here. We've got to make a stance. If a club doesn't take a stance, and if the FA don't take a stance, as you said, Asan, it says something. It, it kind of allows it. It kind of facilitates it from their end. Now, like Howard said, a line has been crossed. Now we, we are just we've gone through the, the the arena of surreal into just despicable. Now it's there's no kind of grey area here. A stance has to be taken. Something has to be done now. I don't think that um, in terms of. I don't think that me and you disagree. Like, I absolutely think that, you know, ultimately if you work for the sun Mm. and you get stick for working for the sun, that's life, mate. You work for the sun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying that in terms of making that separation, 
Yeah, I can make the separation from a club point of view, and I can say, well, it's unfortunate that, for example, you bring the you bring the example of Martin Blackburn. Martin Blackburn is a lovely guy. Yeah. Martin Blackburn writes well about City, and there's a lot of journalists who don't write well about City. So that's nice and that's cool, and that's probably why it's a complicated situation for City because there's actually very few writers who are as yeah. fair as Martin. But ultimately, as you say. What the Sun have done with Raz crosses a line. And if the club's reaction to that is to go, you're never allowed into a game or a press conference again because we need to make this stand, so be it. And like I say, Pep's doing it with Spanish publications. Yeah. But why aren't we doing it with and, 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 you know, just a, Will it make any difference, though? Or absolutely it will. It's a case of making it's a stand. About, it's not even about making a difference. It's about making a making fucking a stand. Yeah. It will make, a, it will make a difference are, too. It would also make sorry. a difference. It, it genuinely would make a difference. You look at the perception of Manchester United and how they're written about when Ferguson kind of took his stances. It has real consequences, that. Uh, and just to, just to end on this point, uh, again, using Martin Blackburn as an example, let's say he is banned from the Etihad through no fault of his own, absolutely no fault of his own. Now, he will know. Who does he blame for that? Does he blame Raheem Sterling? No, that would be farcical. Does he blame the fans? No, we haven't done anything. Does he blame the club? No, he will see that they, they were just in a position where they didn't want to do something, but they did. People who he will blame are his own employers. It's the son. It's who's to blame for whatever goes down. No one else. The club should not be in this kind of um, morally kind of difficult uh, position. There is no kind of moral kind of dilemma to this. It needs to be done. Uh, and a ban would also send a message to other newspapers more to the point that if you want to go down a similar route, then this is how it ends. So. Fuck yeah, it's, it's about time they wielded their power. They've got significant power, the club. And it's about time they Can wielded a bit. Can I ask you both one thing? Can I ask you both one thing? Um, let's say that uh, that the club ring, because that the, the first thing before I went about banning anybody, I think I'd be ringing the guy who they're writing about and going, what do you want us to do? So... How would you feel if the club rang Sterling or his agent and they said, you know what? You don't have to ban him on our account. We don't care. We don't We don't pay any notice to them. We haven't paid any notice to them for years. How would you feel then? Stay, I'll start with you. Um, I wouldn't be overly surprised if Raheem, if it doesn't bother him as much as people think it, it would. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's right and wrong though, isn't it? And, and it's still, it's a Manchester City player. And it's, you know, as, as as much of, of course, as Raheem Sterling as a human being and an individual uh, and a family man, he's also a Manchester City player. So there is that other element to it. It's a Manchester City player being bullied, victimised, overly scrutinised, lied about by the media. Fuck him. The club, because he's a Manchester City player, because he's an employee of theirs, have a right to take that stance. Okay, it'd be the right thing to do, of course, to kind of converse with Raheem first, but... They could still go their own way and do it regardless. Of course, of course. And the duty of care, yeah. It's a good, very good question, but to be honest, I think the club should be able to make its decision without asking him and do what they think is right. But then, don't you think that it? Don't you think it would invite? Because my only, I'm just being devil's advocate for a second here, um, because I do think you have to look at it from both sides. Don't you think that there? You do. I think you do run the risk. Yeah, if you ban the sun, then the sun go. Well, you know what? Let's let's double down on our Raheem Sterling <laughs> coverage because we've got no reason 
to even think about what they think of us now because we're banned. They, they're writing about him going for breakfast. They're writing about him buying <laughs> batteries. What more can they do? They can't go any more fast than uh, what we're doing. Uh, uh, talking about his, his ablutions. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, but toilet visits. A little bit too much milk on his cereal this time. What can, what, <laughs> what can he do? No, I know, I know. But what, what's the what alternative? Yeah, that that's why I asked it earlier. Yeah, what difference does it make? But at the end of the day, that was a loaded question. That you know they're already writing about everything, so I, I don't see how it could get worse. So, you're right. You're and yeah, right. what else do we do? Just ban Custis from the buffet? Just <laughs> nothing really. Just either ban them or just let it carry on as normal. It's like say you've got a duty of care to your to your uh, your employees. Uh, and I think I don't. I mean, I don't think they will ban them, the paper. But uh, stay just as a side issue, and it's not really about football. Mm. Obviously, with the Sun, there's an issue of free free speech being discussed on Twitter all over the place recently about offensive, you know, jokes and so on, and that guy being prosecuted because of his Nazi dog. Is it right to pressure <laughs> a newspaper such as the Sun being banned from shops and airports, and or should we just, you know, is that? The same as banning the city, banning them, or a completely different thing. No, there's, there's, there's two separate things. There's free speech, which should always be enshrined in in law and in, in our kind of life, and there are consequences from what you say. So if you do have you, your, your the son is perfectly entitled, legally entitled, to put what they want on their front page uh, about Raheem Sterling. City have got every right to react to that. It's that's just how it goes. If if you know we don't city can ban some journalists and it doesn't impact upon free speech because the Sun have, have published their thing. They've There's two separate things. I could say something now, which, you know, obviously I wouldn't believe in, but I could say something disgusting now. I'm not going to go and come around and someone's going to arrest me for saying it, but a lot of people will be offended by it and I would lose, you know, people wouldn't read what I wrote in future and I'd suffer from it. You have consequences from what you say in life. There's two separate things there. Yeah. Uh, and ASAN, without, I don't want to mention Piers Moran directly, but I just have done anyway. Are there, is there any responsibility? Footballers live. No. You know. <laughs> yeah, let's move on, man. No. Footballers do what he wants. You know what I'm going to say. Obviously, you know what I'm going to say, yeah. I know exactly what you're going to say. And the answer to the question is no, of course he doesn't have a responsibility to the kids. What are we talking about here? He's a football player. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's oh. entertainment. It's a little bit like, you know, Kendrick Lamar can rap about whatever the fuck he wants to rap about. Yeah, that's this. Uh, if you've got if you've got a kid who watches a, a footballer and he's got a tattoo, and a kid who's like you know whatever age goes out and somehow gets hold of tattoo ink and a tattoo gun at the age of like eight or something and puts something on, you're a really bad parent. You're the you're the one who's let that kid down, not Raheem Sterling. And you're happy to let him play, go and play Fortnite, obviously for four hours solid, shooting everyone inside. The, the only way the footballers are role models are have a act on the pitch. You do see that in Sunday League. You do see kids, um, kind of you know, snotting through their nose, and and you think, well, obviously that doesn't come natural to them. They've seen that off the telly, and um, so in their kind of behaviour on the pitch and their haircuts. Now, second time I mentioned my girlfriend, but she's a barber. Every kid wants haircuts based on footballers. So there, there are ways that footballers impact upon kind of you know children, um, but not in 
oh god, we shouldn't even be discussing this. It's so stupid. It's like it's got. A- but I think, I think, I think part of the issue here is that even people who are trying to defend Sterling, and I'm talking specifically about middle-aged white men. No offense to any middle-aged white men who are listening. Um, I'm taken. Yeah, I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> when you say, when you say, when you say things like, "Oh, well, Sterling's tattoo is ill-advised," but few have been through what Sterling has been through. Guess what? It's not ill-advised. Who are the f- who are you to decide what is advised and what is ill-advised? Do do you inspect every tattoo on every footballer and then decide whether those tattoos are advised or ill-advised? Nobody fucking cares, man. Nobody wants your opinion. Like when I was twenty years old, I didn't want the opinion of some fifty-year-old bellend, right, <laughs> about what I should wear on my feet or on me on me on me body or on me head. And this is just an extension of that. When you, if you want to defend Sterling against the Sun and people writing the kind of stuff that they're writing, just defend him. Don't tell me what you think of the fucking tattoo because I'm not asked. And you shouldn't be talking about the tattoo. It's not about the tattoo. It doesn't matter what yeah, it looks like exactly. or what it is. Exactly. It's just stupid having to talk about. I know we have to talk about it, but stupid having to talk about a fucking tattoo. Damien Delaney at Crystal Palace has a tattoo of a clown holding a gun. Mourinho at uh, uh, um, Liverpool has a huge tattoo on the thigh of a monkey holding a gun to his mouth. It's we shouldn't be talking about this because we know the reasons why it come out. We what, know what do those two what do those two footballers have? In exactly, mind? it's pure and simple. Shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's it's Robert Earnshaw used to machine gun the crowd down every time he scored a goal, and no one gave us two hoots about that. Yeah. I mean, it's deeply a stupid, ill-advised if <laughs> such a thing exists. Goal celebration. Yeah, but at least but no he, one he used cared. to miss every single fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's racism. I mean, this has obviously been widely widely touched upon. The reasons why now. Let's let's go back to the beginning. Just very briefly, let's go back to the beginning. Now, what Raheem Sterling has been through, or at least the treatment he's received, has been nothing short of unprecedented, and it's disgusting. It's truly disgusting. It's disgusting that, that newspapers are getting away with this. Uh, and finally, I think we were actually reached a watershed moment now where people, you know, right across the board, are actually saying, oh, come on, enough is enough now. But if we go right back to the beginning... What's what it stems from, as you said from the start, was him moving from one Premier League club to another Premier League club. He was one of 27 players that summer to move from one top flight club to another top flight club. But it was Liverpool. He left Liverpool. And the ex-footballers at Liverpool, John Aldridge, Phil Thompson, um, Mark Lawrenson, the way that they... Jamie Carragher. Jamie Carragher, the way they came out and lambasted a teenager. I mean, truly laid into him and just whipped up this fury among the fan base was despicable. It's also unprecedented as well. Now, I happen to work for a betting site where I, I interview former footballers and I do one a week. Sometimes something happens where it's a topical event and they want me to talk about that, you know, get a quote, sorry, for, on that topical event. Now, if it concerns a footballer and it's a negative slant, let's say, for example, it's a former Manchester United player and Anthony Martial or Luke Shaw has, you know, fallen out of favour of Mourinho that week or, or something. They'll want this former footballer to talk about Anthony Martial or Luke Shaw. In all my years of doing this now, it's been about three or four years. I've got hundreds of interviews 
I've never, ever been able to get them to slag off a player. I'll slag off a manager. That's fair game. But one pro, even a former pro, never slags off another pro. They just don't. It's a code in football. You just don't do it. They'll always kind of, you know, even if it's something black and white where a player has acted appallingly or done something appallingly, that a former pro will still kind of, you know, just give a really kind of nuanced, kind of balanced uh, reaction to it rather than slag a player off. Here, these former pros laid into him, calling him greedy, calling him disgrace, calling him every name under the sun. Those people are despicable and they started up an industry, an industry of which amounts to a witch hunt on a young lad. So that's where it starts from. Now, my next well, point well, is it about... it starts because no one... No, in that cult, no one believes that the, you could possibly leave and go anywhere yeah, better. Yeah, That's where it all comes from. Yeah, it really does. It, it, we go right back to the start, what we're talking about Liverpool. It, it does come back to that delusional delusion of grandeur and that kind of, how dare you? You can't leave Liverpool to go to those money bags, kind of nouveau rich club down the road. We're Liverpool. That's where it comes from. 27 players left one Premier League club to another that summer. We've got one League Cup in 12 years. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that's where it comes from. And moving on to the, the racism aspect, of course it's racist. Without question, if, if Raheem Sterling was white, he'd be you know lauded in the same manner as Wayne Rooney and Harry Kane. Um, just Yeah, we know this. But with a son, what I find really distasteful, what really kind of unnerves me, is I don't know these journalists. Don't know who they are. I, I would put money on the strong suggestion and chance that the journalists in question don't have a racist bone in their body. They're not racist. They might be, but I would I, I just guess from just the people I see every day walking around and people I encounter, you know, not that many people are kind of, you know, overtly racist. They, they are thankfully nowadays in the minority. So the chances are that they're not racist, but they write this stuff and it stems from racism and it panders to racists. So what they do, these journalists, and what the Sun newspaper does is they profiteer from racism. Now, whether you think that's worse or better or exactly the same as racism itself, that's that's individual, your call. But I find that horrible. I find that the Britain's leading newspaper to profiteer as a cold business decision to profit from racism, disgusting. You go to the deep south of America and you've got a guy kind of wrapped in a Confederate flag and, and saying, you know, vile stuff about kind of, you know, f- foreigners or whatever. Then that person, for me, has a flaw in his DNA. He's, he's you know, he's got kind of a shortcoming in his kind of outlook on life. It's, I'm not excusing him, but, you know, he, I'm guessing, doesn't want to feel that way or think that way. He just, through his upbringing, and that's how he thinks. But if you've got someone like in a stall next to him at some kind of, you know, uh, deep south event and he's, you know, relatively balanced and he's worldly and he's travelled and he's quite left-wing in his views, but he's selling this guy Confederate flags, he's a cunt, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I read online this morning that, I mean, it's, it's right-wing newspapers, let's be honest, to, to some extent. The right-wing German paper ran a racist campaign against Boateng before the 2016 yeah. Euro finals. And he went on to have one of his best tournaments, his best tournament. Uh, so let's hope Sterling <laughs> does similar. Uh, but based on that, quick question. If hypothetically we don't have, you know, ex-City players just throughout the media, 
if a few are trickling through. If hypothetically Raheem Sterling engineered a move away from City in two years' time to, I don't know, Madrid or Bayern Munich or whatever. He might well do. Would we be any better as fans? Or would we just act the same way? Or did it all stem from Carragher's, Thompson's, John Barnes? I can't remember. Dean Saunders. John Aldridge. Let me ask you a question, Howard. Or you can keep, or you can keep just... Just, just, just naming ex-Liverpool yeah, players. Yeah, ex-Liverpool players. <laughs> This isn't a quiz, by the way, in case you thought you'd actually <laughs> stumbled onto a, a 93-20 quiz. This isn't what that is. Um, I've forgotten what the question is now. Howard, ask me again. And that nugget, John Aldridge. Uh, if if uh, if Sterling moved away from City, engineered oh, yeah. a move away, would we be any better as a fan base? I think we would. So let me give you an example. I think that the only player who's really behaved properly like a bellend um, since the takeover is Tevez. You can't really talk about before the takeover because before the takeover, for example, when Wright Phillips was sold, the reality is that we've got to sell players because we've got to sell them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We need the money. Um, but post takeover, it's only really Carlos who, who behaved like a bellend. Now, if you were to take a poll of most city supporters, right? Even the ones who really can't bear what he did, will probably be like, yeah, but, you know, he held that banner up. Do you know what I mean? Like, you'll, you'll find you'll find the thing that makes you feel like he's one of us, yeah? yeah. Because he's he, he was part of something. I, I, don't, I just don't see us as behaving like that about any of this generation or this crop of City players. But then again, it's an unfair question because we won't ever be as insecure as Liverpool are because we're actually winning things, yeah? So we don't have to we don't have to have that insecurity about selling players because we know that if we sell a world class player, we'll buy another fucking world class player because we've got the best owners in the world. Yeah. I've, the only thing is I don't think Sterling's got the credit to us has for all the reasons we discussed in the past. Uh yeah, because Tevez could go missing for half a season in our league title, title winning season, still doesn't lose any credit. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I agree with what you say. And uh, about twenty minutes ago, I wasn't even going to ask you about the kids, <laughs> but it, but it got you both talking for twenty minutes. I think my original question was relating to Piers Moron. Is that, <laughs> is that because footballers put themselves out there with it, dabbing videos, Instagram posts, blah blah blah, and your answer will still be the same. Do the media not thus have a right to to discuss, you know, to report on all of this, knowing that because sales are falling, they'll report on anything anyway, or is that just an excuse for them to write this drivel? Well, that, it's not. So it wasn't really about the kids. My original question. I see what you're saying, but it's just not like what he's saying. Yeah, it's not news. <laughs> it's not news, is it? So no. if a footballer. Um, if a footballer gets a tattoo or buys a house or buys food or whatever it is, yeah, that's not news, really. Even though they're in the public domain, people might argue, yeah, but they're famous. Yeah, okay, so they're famous. So, But still, they eat food and they buy clothes. That's not news in and of itself. We all eat food and we all buy clothes. Um, so uh, right now, this conversation is about Raz. But we could probably, whether we like it or not, 
have a similar conversation about Pogba. Yeah, absolutely. Probably, whether we like it or not, have a similar conversation about Lingard. We could probably, whether we like it or not, have a similar conversation about Deli Alley. The one thing that those footballers have in common is the fact that they're all black. Yeah. Right? And all the, all the black English footballers get treated like that by the media, whilst all of the white English footballers are protected from on high. Yeah. Okay. But there's that horrible yeah. phrase, isn't it? I don't know, you know, it's not used anymore, of course, but um, in boxing, the great white hope. And that applies to football. That, that doesn't yeah. apply to football. Harry Kane is England's great white hope. Yeah. yeah. Raheem Sterling is probably seen as an immigrant on some level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just look at the broader issue finally. Uh, better move on. Running out of time. So, do you think. The broader issue is why the Red Tops, this is what we're in the notes, why do Red Tops try and destroy, and it is the Red Tops, try and destroy England team prior to a tournament then blame them all when it goes wrong at the end of it? Is there, a, Steve, is there an answer to this question? Because I, I ain't got a clue it, why. It's, it sells papers. Negative stories always come out. Why at this time? Yeah. Does it? Because you've got, you know, once every two years you've got a major tournament. That's, you know, that's boom time for kind of a business for them in terms of sporting news stories. But of course, they want to maximise it so that they've got the pre-tournament and post-tournament. Pre-tournament, what can they do? They can't just write about kind of a squad of players going off to another country um, and, and having training sessions. That's not going to sell shift units. So what they do is they always manufacture a scandal of some kind uh, in this instance it's a fucking tattoo for Christ's sake um, and they always have to do it and it destabilises uh, the harmony in that England squad and they jeopardise England's chances in a major tournament then when a major tournament starts they go into full jingoism mode come on our brave boys for Harry in England and all that bullshit uh, and then after the tournament, as you say, if England go out against a very good side in a narrow defeat on penalties, for example, don't let them back in, they're a disgrace. It's just the same cycle every time. Now, this is schizophrenic behaviour, but individuals can be schizophrenic. A major news organisation can't be schizophrenic. So you just have to simply ask that question, what is their true selves? Are those two types of behaviour, of those two extremes, which are they really... And I would suggest that it's the negative. It's the one who doesn't want England to succeed because, you know, they sell newspapers coldly, you know, purely in terms of business. They want England to fail. So they are the enemy within tabloid newspapers. And that's fine. If that's how it is, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. The thing I have a real issue with is that a multitude of people this summer will go to their news agents, they'll buy the sun, they'll buy the mirror and all the rest of it, and they'll read the back page and they'll see kind of Harry Kane, it's like for Harry in England, and they think that that newspaper is on their side. It's not. What you're holding is a, a newspaper that wants your country to fail. They are the enemy within. Hey, Sam, do you think negative coverage has any bearing on how they'll do at the finals? Yes. Um, or, I mean, I think that in the past, uh, England teams look, oftentimes they look beaten before they've taken the pitch. And oftentimes you see with England players, the, the, the stark contrast between England and other nations is that you kind of look at other nations, you watch other nations play and you see average, bang average players, yeah, 
raise their game because they're playing for their national team because they care. Um, and with England, it's the opposite. With England, you tend to find that the players go into their shells uh, when they play for England. And I just think that's a direct consequence of my all of my adult life, yeah, so 30 years, something like that, of, of negative headlines about England players and England, um, regardless of how they do, you know. I mean, yeah. again, I've got no love for David Beckham, but, you know, the reaction to what, when Beckham was sent off in the World Cup, the reaction to that was just outrageous. On every level, the media reaction was just outrageous. And I think that it's something that I, I often think about is this idea that like, so we're supporters and we're meant to be emotional about football, but the media, it's not your job to be emotional. It's just, it's not their job to be, to be emotional. It's their job to report the news. And of course there's, you know, there's always emotion involved, but at the root of it, just try and report the news and just, you know, stick to that and everything will be fine, but they don't, they need, I mean, obviously they need angles, they need spin, they need weight, they need headlines to sell those newspapers, but, you know, they, it, with England, it tends to be negative headlines and the players know it and therefore the players go into their shells. Yeah, I think that's, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, it's perfect summation and we're just going to go through the same cycle again. Uh, this this summer uh, well I think we've covered everything uh, anything anyone wants to add uh, well, yeah. I just want to say I'm sorry I got really emotional and I swore a lot no well I think we made it clear at the beginning that was going to happen anyway it's a it's an emotional issue and it's frustrating and makes us angry mm. uh, I just hope that from the response and I've seen from Liverpool and United fans and all sorts last night after this you know the front pages were shown that there is a you know, this is this one was somehow different than the turning of the tide, but you know, I'll believe that when I see it, perhaps. But anyway, I think it's been a very interesting chat. So thank you very much, Asan. Pleasure, uh, thanks for appearing. Yeah, and thank you very much, Steve Tudor, for coming on the show. Yes, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, we've got loads more coming up as well, other shows. Uh, but thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed what we had to say today. Uh, and if you were upset by foul language, then I'm sorry, not sorry. But until next time, goodbye. Up the blues.